As I mentioned a few moments ago to all of you that September the 10th is an important day in the life of our church. It's our celebration Sunday. Not only will we hear from our Columbia Missions team, but we anticipate having dozens, if not hundreds, of guests from Seattle Pacific University as part of their orientation. We can hear in worship with us this morning. So we want to make sure we as a congregation are doing our best to be prepared to extend hospitality, which is what the sermon's about today, to all those that will be with us, not only that Sunday, but hopefully doing some work with Chaplain Lisa at SPU that even the next Sunday we might have some students with us. So to help us prepare as a congregation, we've invited a person from Seattle Pacific University to come forward who happens to be its new president, Dr. Dina Porterfield, to help us prepare. Well, good morning. I want to begin by thanking you for your hospitality as Doug and I arrived here in Seattle just a few weeks ago and began attending the church here with you. So thank you for your prayers and your continued prayers as we can uh, move through what's next in the life of Seattle Pacific University. Well, I had the opportunity to meet with Pastor Craig and we sat across the table and I said, I'd like to talk to you not as the president of Seattle Pacific, but as a member of the Free Methodist Church. And just so you know, he accepted our membership, so we are now part of this church. So, he might regret that, but he did. He did accept it, the transfer. Um, so let me just tell you what we've been talking about at SPU. We took a look at the orientation schedule, and one of the things we noticed is that there was not a worship service listed on Sunday, so we have added it, and what we added was First Free Methodist Church as an option for our students. Now we know that some of our students are already involved in local churches and we invite them as well, but really our commitment is to make sure that the students that walk on our campus this next few weeks have the opportunity to connect with the local church. You know, at the university, we are committed to the spiritual formation of our students, but we are not the church. We want our students engaged in the local church so that when they graduate, they have that connection beyond what happened on the campus. And so we have an opportunity as a church to welcome in students. We have over 425 new students that will be enrolling. This is gonna be on the schedule. This is what we know. The first weeks of school, people fill the, or, um, follow the schedule. <laughs> If you've taught, you know that after the first week, they don't always follow the schedule. So it is our greatest opportunity to have the, the, the largest amount of the students that are at SPU walking in this door on that day. So I'd like to ask you to pray for that day. It's, as, as you know, it's our, um, what do we call it? Celebration Sunday. And so we're gonna be hearing all kinds of things. Um, but would you pray for that Sunday? Would you pray for orientation weekend? Will you pray for the students that are gonna walk in this church? And will you be ready with your biggest smile and your greatest joy and your most wonderful hospitality to welcome them in so that they come back another Sunday and another Sunday, and they can know the love and joy and peace of Jesus Christ through this community. So thank you for letting me do this. Thank you, you know, this is a problem. You give a president a pulpit, here we go. So I'm gonna sit back down, but thank you for praying for us. 
Amen. It's a joy to have Dina and Doug a part of our congregation. They've been here almost every Sunday since they moved to Seattle. And so what I think what is appropriate for us to do right now is to pray exactly as we've been encouraged to do. Let's pray right now for the students coming to that orientation week and starting their first year of university. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today in the mighty name of Jesus. We know, God, that you have walked alongside every single one of those 425 students, that your prevenient grace has been with them from the very beginning of their life. And so as we look forward to this time in two weeks in which they're invited to join us for worship here on the 10th of September, we pray, God, that you would equip each and every one of those students for the school year that's going to be ahead, for many of them leaving home for the first time, for what we call orientation in some ways, oh Lord, we know is disorientation. And so we pray that in the midst of that, we might be a light a place of stability, a place of peace for each and every one of those students. We pray for that Sunday. We pray for those students and their families that they might experience the fullness of your love in Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, it, it's, it's not lost on me that today we're starting a new series of messages called Open Invitation, which is about hospitality. You know, we just finished a series called serve the world. And it was a focus we had in the life of our church on mission. What our mission is. How do we accomplish the mission? Who accomplishes that mission? In other words, how do we each find a place in our lives to serve the world in which we find ourselves, whether that's a local area or a global area and everything in between? But one of the easiest ways people can find their way into mission, one of the simplest ways we can engage in God's work is through the mission of hospitality. The mission of hospitality. And so for the next few Sundays, we're going to be focused on hospitality and how the ministry of hospitality can make all the difference in the world, especially as we prepare for students being with us on the 10th of September, but for each and every one of us in our own lives, how we can understand hospitality as a ministry and how God has called us to share in the welcome that extends God's love to other people. You know, the way we do relationships today has changed dramatically. So we practice a lot of form of engagement in relationships. Dominantly nowadays, it seems that a lot of that happens through social media, of course, whether it's Facebook or X, formerly known as Twitter, or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever it might be. And those platforms are fascinating and they're rather awesome because we get to connect with people that we thought we might never connect with again. I mean, how many of you have met someone through the use of social media that you completely had lost track of? Go ahead and raise your hand. Almost all of us have found people in those mediums that have allowed us to make connections with people that would have been long lost to us. Because before those mediums existed, we would have needed an email address, and even before that, we would have needed a snail mail address to try to stay in touch with those people, or at least a phone number. And so all of those ways of communicating together through social media allow us to do so in a wide sort of way. And it allows us to network in a way that we could never network before either. 
if you want to join the Red Hat Club, you can find them probably on one of those social media platforms. If you want to find people who know how to knit upside down, Lori Sweeney, I'm looking at you, you can find them on social media. There's all sorts of ways you can connect with people using those platforms. But I think we all know some of the downsides of those platforms is, is that they give us a wide way of communicating, but they don't always give us the deepest way of communicating, the most intimate ways of communicating. Sometimes they do, but more often than not, those are wide ways in which we connect with other people. Perhaps there's another way we can go deep and find ways to connect with one another. And that's where hospitality comes in. And this text from Hebrews chapter 13 gives us a, a short little guide on what Christian hospitality can look like. So if you brought your Bible with you to church today, I'm waiting for lots of movement in the room. <laughs> if you brought your Bible to church today, open it to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to be looking at each one of these three verses one at a time and help, allowing these verses to help shape it. And if you didn't bring a Bible to church today, no problem, because we have it up on the screen, so worry not, okay? We want you to feel comfortable and able to participate in our worship, whether you have a Bible with you or whether you don't, doesn't matter. I want to talk first about one of the first things we must understand about hospitality is that we have to love like a family. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let love of the brothers and sisters continue. You see, this is asking us to find ways to relate to one another that aren't just wide, those are valuable, but also deep. The writer here in Hebrews chooses some really odd words to describe how the Christian community is to behave with one another. We're not just like-minded people, we're not just ideologues that all think and see things the same way. That's not the hallmark of our community. The hallmark of our community is that we're to love like what? Brothers and sisters. And the word that's used here for brothers and sisters, we'll put that verse up on the screen, Hebrews 13, well, there it is, um, is these are what, it's the literal word for sibling or brother or sister, so that we're not just to think about one another symbolically as brothers and sisters, we're to engage with one another as if we are siblings in a family. Now, how many of you get along well with your siblings? I understand that. But listen carefully to what the writer's trying to tell us. The way the Christian community lives life is like a family, not like an organization. Organizations are important and institutions are important. But the way in which we live life together is like a family. We hold one another like family. We hold one another with these bonds of being in family together. And when we're in the life of the church, wide is not our primary orientation. Deep is our primary orientation. We're to love one another like brothers and sisters. Now, this is a change for us as a church in the 21st century. I read an article a couple of years ago that talks about a lecture that T Ted Smith gave at the Candler School of Theology, uh, who teaches at Candler, but gave the lecture at Union Seminary. And he talked about this shift that's happened in the way the church understands the way it behaves together. He says the church has moved from what he calls an age of association to an age of authenticity. Now, in the age of association, there were certain things that mattered, like Costco, membership, 
In the age of association, membership was an important value. So if you were a member of a church or part of a church, that really made a difference. If you were someone in the United States in the 1940s, 50s, or 60s, and you wanted to meet people, network with people, and do business with people, you did it first by getting to be a member of a what? Church. Not only is membership important in the age of association, but programs, organizations, institutions, these are all valuable parts of the age of association. And so the way in which we thought about church is that church is this organization and we are part of it. But what Smith describes here is that we've moved from an age of association to an age of authenticity. And the movement into the age of authenticity has different markers. Relationships are much more important in the life of the church today. Oftentimes churches think that the the key to their growth is to get bigger. In reality, it's counterintuitive in 2023. The key for the church to be alive and vital is to actually be smaller. And what I mean by that is to be in smaller communities, smaller groups, smaller connections where relationships can happen. Then churches can build networks of those smaller communities and become maybe a larger church by doing so. But it really has to do with relationships and connection together. It has to do with helping people find their purpose in life, what it is they long to do, what they seek to do, and what God's called them to do. And it has to do with community, being together. Now, pandemic, as we moved through it, threatened so many of these things. But being the Christians we are, and part of the global community, we found ways to connect even during the pandemic. We figured out how to join a Zoom meeting. There's lots of people I'm looking at in this room. You may not have known how to do that before the pandemic, but most of you now know how to do that. Most of you know how to worship online, and you didn't know how to do that necessarily before pandemic. So as we've moved through this tremendous season of upheaval, we're learning new ways to be in relationships together, to have purpose in our lives together, and to find ways of being community together that we've, we've perhaps never known before. That's the difference between the age of authenticity and the age of association. The only place I'm a member of anymore is a member of a church in Costco. I'm not a member of anything else. But I'm networked with people and groups and relationships and ways in which I'm woven into the lives of other people. Those are the things that have great value for me. I don't pause at the end of my day and thank God for my membership at Costco. I give thanks to God for the richness of the tapestry of the people in my life, not only in this church but outside of it, because it's those relationships that give life to me, that God speaks through those and moves. Love one another like brothers and sisters, it tells us. So if that's the foundation, if that's where we're going to start, then what are the things that we need to do? And that's the next two verses, verses 2 and 3. So let's start at verse 2. Now, before I read this verse to you, I want to explain something about the world in which this is written. This text was written in Hebrews 13. In the time in which this text was written, there was no such thing as a Hyatt, a Hilton, or a Holiday Inn. 
They did not exist. You know, um, it's interesting. Here we are at the end of August, and as I was standing outside this morning, I was greeting people as, as they arrived. And there were several of you that I was able to see today with a big smile on my face and on yours because you've been traveling. You've been visiting family. You've been gone places during the summer, and it's good to see some of you back. We'll see others back later in the fall or whenever it happens to be. That's a, a moment of happiness when we see people we haven't seen in a while because they're traveling. In the ancient world, this world of Hebrews 13, no one traveled anywhere for leisure ever. Remember, to travel anywhere was a huge ordeal. And you only traveled anywhere if you had to travel somewhere. There's no such thing as a leisure vacation. There's no such thing as a pleasure cruise. There's no such thing as an all-inclusive resort. These things do not exist in the ancient world. You didn't go anywhere unless you needed to go somewhere. So when the writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 13, chapter 2, it makes a little more sense to us. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers. You see what a stranger is? A stranger is a person who's forced to travel for some reason. Not because they want to, but because they have to. And so the Christian community in Hebrews 13 is charged with the work of showing hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And if you read the, the entirety of the Bible, you'll find three different episodes where people entertained strangers that were actually angels who were visiting. The most famous of these stories is the story you find in the book of Genesis when Abraham welcomed three visitors to his tent who were actually three angelic messengers. The first part of the verse, though, speaks to something you may have already known or heard in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember when Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats where he's talking about how I was a stranger and you welcomed me? This is a callback to that. Extend hospitality to strangers. Could you imagine finding somebody passing through, traveling through our city, and you just welcoming them into your home and letting them stay with you? That sounds tremendously unsafe, doesn't it? Sounds like that has some inherent risk in it. In the ancient world, it was just the opposite. If you stayed in an inn, or the ancient equivalent of a Hyatt, Hilton, or a Holiday Inn, that was a place of great danger. Because whenever you needed to travel, you had to take provisions, supplies, and most importantly, money with you when you traveled. And thieves and criminals knew that. And so if you stayed in an inn somewhere, you were putting a bullseye on yourself to be robbed, murdered, maybe just beaten. It was dangerous to stay in those places because it was like you were a walking billboard that I'm staying in a place that's not my house, I'm not really sure where I am, and I have lots of stuff with me. And so the invitation to the Christian community is do not neglect hospitality to strangers, people passing through, sojourners that are coming your way. Welcome them in and make them a part of your life. One of the ways we lean into this as a church one of the ways we lean into it is through fostering hope, isn't it? That these children in the foster care system and those who are just leaving the foster care system are in dangerous places. 
easily able to be exploited or even trafficked. And by being in ministry with those individuals, we're extending hospitality to strangers. Some of those young people that come through our ministry of fostering hope, we've never met them before, but we're ready to serve them and extend hospitality to them. We do so by supporting them and giving them things they need maybe for their home, providing some support systems for foster parents and for foster kids, we do that. But lean into that even further. What would it look like for the Christian community to dedicate itself to adopting any foster child? Do not neglect hospitality to the stranger. The text goes on in verse 3. It says, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are badly treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. You know, in the ancient world, if you were in prison, it's not like being in prison here in the 21st century. In the 21st century, you get an orange jumpsuit. You get three meals a day. In the ancient world, you got none of those things. If you were imprisoned in the ancient world, you were completely dependent on your family and your friends to bring you clothing and to bring you food. It was not the responsibility of your jailer to provide those things to you. And so if you didn't have family or friends nearby, guess what happened? You didn't get those things. Many people died in prison in the ancient world because they did not have any relationships or connections outside of prison who could provide for their needs while they were in prison. So here we read in verse 3, that we're to remember the prisoners. Do you hear Matthew 25 rolling around in your head, in your memory somewhere? Jesus said, for I was in prison and you visited me. So that meant that the Christian community is being encouraged to look at the prisons and people who are imprisoned and individuals that may not have any family, any friends, and the Christians had to take it upon themselves to bring them food, to bring them clothes, and to take care of them as if they were what? family, as if they were family. This is Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality at its most essential level is a smiling face that greets you and hot coffee that's offered. Christian hospitality at its most sophisticated level is a social witness in the world that is so radical and revolutionary that no other group of human beings acts like it. And somewhere on that spectrum is where we are. And what this text is inviting us to do is to lean forward into that work of hospitality. The writer goes on in verse 3 and tells us some important things. Remember, those in prison, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are badly treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. The people to whom this letter is written are Jewish Christians, they were Jewish, and they became part of the Christian community by their belief in Jesus. That Christian community, in the place this was written, was under a form of persecution for their Christian faith. And so many of those who had become part of that Christian community from Judaism were considering a movement back to strictly Judaism and renouncing Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is written to them to encourage them to not let go of Jesus too quickly. And so the writer is reminding them 
reminding them that the suffering that happens within the body of Christ happens to all of us, not just those who seem to be under persecution at that moment. This is a pretty heavy challenge, isn't it? Good, I'm glad somebody said it. It's a heavy challenge. The scriptures are inviting us, and God is inviting us to think about hospitality in a way that maybe we're not used to. But if we can figure out even just what the next step in that life of hospitality might look like, it could begin to change things around us and even in our city. So let me close today with telling you a short story. I'd like you to meet our celebrity of the day, Julian the Apostate. And you're saying to yourself, oh, good Lord, what is Craig talking about? Julian the Apostate. Now, you might remember somewhere in history class that you were taught that the first Christian emperor of Rome was a man named Constantine. And Constantine was responsible for making Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. Now, he had a whole variety of reasons for doing that, and historians argue about the value of why he did or didn't do that. But let's just say we're going to go with Constantine brought Christianity to the Roman Empire and legitimized it. Constantine dies, his son takes over, and says this Christianity stuff is bonkers. We're all going to go back to Roman paganism and the worship of the Caesar as God. Sounds good, doesn't it? Julian the apostate. That's why he's called the apostate, because he was the one who tried to undo what his father Constantine had had done. So he got so frustrated with the Christian community as the Roman emperor, he decided he needed to send a letter out to all of the Roman governors around the world about how to deal with what are called the Galileans. And the Galileans are the Christians, right? Listen to what he writes in his letter in 414, I think. Here it is. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but, read it, ours as well. All men see our people lack aid from us. Now, probably over the time I'm your pastor, we're never going to talk about Julian the Apostate again. (laughs) The Roman emperor. And what's he annoyed about? That the Christians take care of their own poor and strangers better than anyone in the empire. And so Julian instructs his governors to take upon themselves later on in the same letter to say, I want you to outlove the Galileans. He tells his governors to begin collecting food to feed the poor. He tells his governors to start creating places where the sick and infirmed can come and be cared for by the Roman government. He imposes new taxes through his governors so that they can do all of this on the bill of the empire. Guess how well that went for him. It was an abysmal disaster for Julian the Apostate because he did not have the most essential ingredient for Christian hospitality. And what was it? It's in verse 1. Let the love of brothers and sisters continue. 
He tried to impose an imperial solution absent the virtue of love. He didn't love his people. He was upset that the Christians loved them and that his own empire didn't and couldn't. In the midst of all that, what I want you to watch and pay attention to is only this thing. That Christian hospitality had the clear attention of the most powerful man in the Western world. Do you think that the most powerful individual in the Western world has heard of our hospitality? How about the governor? Mayor? City council person? School board member? Local dog walker? (laughs) I know sarcasm stings. But the work of the Christian community in 2023 has to stop being wide and it has to go deep it has to go deep into the need of the human heart it has to meet the most desperate need of people around us that our hospitality our generosity is our greatest social witness and it is our greatest weapon against evil in this world that god has given us but yet we lived in closed homes with closed wallets and closed minds And then we wonder why compassion seems to be so missing. God asks the same question of us. We're responsible for that kind of hospitality. And so perhaps our goal isn't to take this giant leap to welcoming strangers into our homes today that maybe today there's just one little next step we might take. We have two weeks to pray and wonder about what that next step looks like before a bunch of 18-year-olds who are strangers in our midst arrive. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks. Thanks for this message of hospitality. It's challenging to us. It's hard for us, God. Hard. For we know, God, that so much of what we've done in the life of the church, not, not, not just this church, but so many churches, is we, we just gaze at our navel. We look inward. And God, you continually prompt us and speak to us to think about the mission that you've called us to into the world. And hospitality, generosity, graciousness. These can be some of our most powerful tools, God. We're thankful for them. We're thankful how Jesus displayed them in welcoming the stranger, excluding no one. So help us, God, as a church to to look for our next step, not just as a church, but each of us in our individual lives. What's the next step we need to take to be just a little bit more hospitable, just a little bit more gracious. So God, we pray for the power of generosity to come upon us in a powerful way.
For Lord, when we gather around this table, we do not want to gather as hypocrites. People who are happy to receive your generosity, but often unwilling to give it. For when we gather around this table, we give thanks for the greatest act of generosity of all time, the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that through his death and resurrection, we might receive the forgiveness of sins, eternal and abundant life. We remember when Jesus gathered around that table with his disciples, he took bread and broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take, eat all of you. This is my body, broken for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks to you and gave it to the disciples, saying, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. We give you thanks now and always for this abundant gift you have given us in Jesus, an act of extravagance and hospitality. May we receive it. May we receive it, ready to give it. Through the mighty name of Jesus, we pray as he taught us to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.